You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Well, it's a privilege for me to be here, and I've been looking forward to being here. I've had this date circled on my calendar. I've been looking forward to seeing this church. Uh, this church is special to me in, in a lot of ways that you might not know. Uh, I actually serve at the church where uh, Pastor Dave and I got our start in ministry. Uh, he was an intern at, at the church. I was an intern at the church where I currently serve as a lead pastor. My dad was on staff there for 20 years while I was growing up as the music pastor. It was a church that grew and, and swelled probably 3,500 people. And, um, and then it split in 1990, and it just was decimated. It probably ended up around a couple of hundred people. And so you have this huge building and just a very small amount of people. And, uh, and they were talking about the idea of just closing up the shop, of, of giving the property, deeding it back to the conference. The Baptist General Conference is a Baptist church. By the way, no one sitting in the front row today in true Baptist form to welcome me to your church. Thanks for being so thoughtful and just considering what would make me feel most at home. I appreciate that. A Baptist church, I thought they were going to give it back to the conference, so I called them and just said, you know, I was serving in the Bay Area at a church called Three Crosses in Castro Valley, and I said, you know, I'm serving in this church where I'm watching guys from this church go away to school, come back from seminary, serve in this church. They've been here. They grew up here. They got saved here. They've been here all that time, and I'm just getting a vision for what our church perhaps needs, that longevity, people who understand the, the fibers of our church to roll our lives back into it. And I said, I'm not sure if you would consider me to be the guy to lead the next season of ministry, but if you're interested in that, I love the city of Long Beach. I love, it was called First Baptist Church of Lakewood. I love that ministry. It lit the fire of ministry in me. I can't imagine really serving in any other place. And so if you'll have me, I'd love the opportunity to come back. I rallied some of my friends. We all kind of uprooted our families, moved back to the city of Long Beach. And for the last 10 years, I've been serving there. And it's just been unbelievable Watching God just turn that ministry, the reconciliation and peacemaking, old pastors that are now sitting in the front row, old elders and deacons that were frustrated at the time who have come back and are serving on the elder board and, uh, and giving to the Lord out of, out of the, the goodness and joy of their heart, seeing just a multi-generational church because we're 70 years old, so we've got people who are like 115 years old and we've got people who are you know new, newly born, just infants who are, who are dedicating. We, we call it the Thanksgiving table. The great-grandparents and the grandparents and the parents of the teenagers and, and the, the newlyweds that are pregnant and the little kids and, and you know, singles and everybody. And we're grateful for the peacemaking that's, that's just been a, a part of the, the, the process of us um, reconciling a ministry and rebuilding. And it's just been a, a blessing. And I'll say that 10 years ago, uh, one of our former pastors, a college pastor at our church back in the day, Bob Swanson, called me up. And he said, hey, I'm up here in Elk Grove, California, and we're looking for a, a senior pastor. Told me about the church, and he said, I just wonder if you'd have any names for me. And I said, well, give me a profile. You know, what are you looking for? So he told me uh, what was on the docket, what they were looking for, and I said, well, I've got one and only one name for you, Dave Flagg. So, you're welcome. <laughs> or I'm sorry. Either way, I don't know which way you want me to go with that one, but I'll tell you that Dave Flagg has been a massive encourager in my life through the years. Uh, when I was in ninth grade, uh, Dave was a freshman at Biola. He was a new intern at our church. He took me under his wing. He discipled me through high school. I'm blown away by that. Now I look back on that and think, why would a college student be so interested in just a little runt ninth grader? But this guy spent time with me and took me surfing and played volleyball and took me home to Northridge to meet with his family and his brothers and, 
and dug into my life in a deep way, in a lot of ways just built me in, in my uh, formative years into the man of faith that I would become. We became great friends after I graduated high school. They've remained great friends through the years. And so while I'm glad that he's out on sabbatical, I miss him today, but I'm grateful to be given the opportunity to come before you today and, um, and bring God's word. And today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, you can flip over to Joshua chapter 1. If you have a cell phone, you can flip in your cell phone to Joshua chapter 1. I think it's actually going to be on the screens here. But I want us to look into what it means to be men and women of strength and courage today through the lens of the life of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 9, in honor of God's word, let's stand together. Let me read Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. The book begins, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I'll give you every place that you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it from day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his word. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks today for your mindfulness of us. That of all the things going on in the universe you would allow us to stand in your presence today. And we recognize that more than just ink on paper, we have before us the theonoustos, the breath of God. And so we pray more than just a history lesson today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illuminate the text in front of us and cause it to spring off the page, jump into our lives, be like a seed planted into our hearts, that it would bear much fruit. Of all the things in our rearview mirror, of all the things vying for our attention, of all the things that could pull our attention away from you today, we forsake those things and we push them aside that you would get our undivided attention. You deserve that. Thank you on this, the first day of the week, at the tip of the day, we give to you our best and we expectantly, Lord, and eagerly anticipate what you will have for us. So we give you thanks in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, in this text before us, we have one of the greatest pep talks of all time, one of the best of all time, and I love a good pep talk. I honestly do. I love movies that include coaches firing up their teams. I love watching military movies where, like, the captain or the generals are out there just rocking the guys. I love and enjoy watching teachers do that in the context of classrooms, and I enjoy just seeing it in the Bible, but this is a different type of pep talk. This is not... David firing up the troops. This is not the king rolling in front of his men saying, guys, we got this. 
This is not Moses firing up the people of Israel or any of the judges. This is not a matter of Peter standing in front of the disciples or all the people in the New Testament church and getting them excited or Paul telling people what they should do. This is God. This is actually God giving a pep talk. And when God talks, I'm leaning in. I want to listen to what he has to say. There's a lot of people who just like to ramble and and go on and on to fire people up, but this is legitimate stuff. I mean, this is God firing up Joshua. And it's important to note that it's God because of how how Joshua would be used in in God's greater purposes. Because we know that God is all-powerful, granted, all-powerful. He can do everything. There's nothing he cannot do. We see his power on display in nature. It's pretty awesome, actually, to see God wield his power in stunning ways when it comes to nature. We're watching that in Hawaii with volcanoes erupting. We see it in gale force wind, hurricanes, tornadoes. Uh, We see it in massive cyclones. We feel it in earthquakes here in California. So we see God's power on display in the elements. But when God puts his, his power on display to transform someone's life, he typically uses people for that. He doesn't use nature. Sometimes he does. And sometimes he'll use a donkey. And sometimes Jesus himself will stand in front of someone and say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But by and large, when God wants to transform someone's life, he uses other people. So it's God's power working through the lives of faithful people. It's never about the person. We're talking about one of those guys today, Joshua. But it's less about Joshua and more about what God did through Joshua. He did it through, the, through Moses. Uh, he did it through the judges. He did it through the kings. We watch him do it through the prophets. He did it through the uh, disciples. He did it through the apostles. He does it through Christians. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though God was making his appeal through us, be reconciled to God. It's always about the power of God working through the lives of people. I don't know if we have any car enthusiasts out there, anyone who would take their time to actually fix up an old car, not made of plastic and recycled cans, but an actual car made of, you know, Detroit steel, real metal, you know, an, a car that is dented and messed up, found in a field to resurface that car, make it beautiful. My father-in-law, he's a transmission mechanic in Montana, grew up in Los Angeles, he and his wife both got tired of L.A., after my wife was born and then her sister, the first two of four, were born, they just traveled up to Montana, literally bounced off the Canadian border, settled in a little tiny town, and he's a transmission mechanic, and on the side, he redoes cars, beautiful cars, old cars that he makes new again. And whenever you see a guy like Jerry Barstead, my my father-in-law, or any person who's interested in making old cars new, if you go by a show or a parking lot that has these cars in it, It's never about how shiny the chrome is. I mean, it's it's nice that the cars look good, but those cars are always shown with the hood up because what's really important is what's under the hood, the motor. You never have a group of guys stepping around a car like that saying, you know, Jim, you got the shiniest windows I've ever seen on a car. Well, Ned, thanks, because I was going to mention your white wall tires are wider than in. I don't know why they talk so southern, but they don't talk about the outside of the car. They talk about what's under the hood. They want to see what makes the car go. They want to have that thing turned over. They want to listen to it roar. It's not about the exterior. It's what's on the inside, and it's not about the man or the woman. It's the power of God working through us. So that's what we see in this book, and, and the book really gets 
kind of off to a, a bit of a downer note. It says it right out of the gate after the death of Moses. That's a real like, <sighs> why is that important after the death of Moses? Well, two reasons. Number one, it's important if you're Moses because you're dead, okay? Number two, it's important because we have a bit of a transition that's about ready to happen here. Authority and leadership is about ready to go from surely the greatest leader in the history of Israel to another person. For the first time, they'll be led by someone else. So the death of Moses is what kicks this book off. But I want you to see how, how Moses was reconciled in the book of Joshua. Moses, and then his title, the servant of the Lord. You see that? Moses, the servant of the Lord. Servant of the Lord is a title of honor, tremendous honor, dignity given by and large to Moses in the Bible. Uh, throughout the, the Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is called the servant of the Lord several times, many times. Honor and privilege goes with that title. In fact, 13 times in the book of Joshua, the title servant of the Lord comes up in reference to Moses, not to Joshua. Servant of the Lord. That's how highly res respected, highly regarded this title of honor was used uh, for Moses because of how highly regarded he was in the people's eyes. 13 times in Joshua's account. I wonder if that ever got under Joshua's skin. I wonder if that ever bothered him. That Moses, tough act to follow, servant of the Lord, I wonder if it ever just bugged him. Let's put a pin in that. We'll come back to servant of the Lord at the end of this little talk today. This whole charge is about being strong and courageous. And clearly strength and courage would need to mark the life of Joshua if he was going to step into these shoes and be the one to lead Israel. And let me just say that if you and I are going to be the type of people, men and women, who are going to make an impact for God, do anything for him, step into that ambassadorial role for him, and make an impact in people's lives, do something for him in the environments that he has placed us, make good on the various gifts that he has given to us, if we're going to be those people, our lives need to also be marked with strength and courage. If we're going to lead as he leads, if we're going to love as he loves, if we're going to change people's lives and transform the world, it cannot come by our power. It has to be the power of God working through us. Am I making sense in here today? And so we're talking about what it means to step into this role of strength and courage. Let's take a good look at some of the markers of strength and courage in Christians' lives through the life of Joshua. First out of the gate, the strong and the courageous always step up to the plate. Always. The mark of strength and courage is that the strong and courageous step up to the plate. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Verse 2, God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you, Joshua, and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place that you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory is going to go on and on and on. So I promise to you I'm going to give you all of these things. Now, we know that Joshua was a warrior. We know that. We know that Joshua came to the table with strength and courage. We know that. We read Numbers 13, and we read about 12 tribes who were sent into the land to go scout it. God had told Moses, pick 12, one from each tribe, 
bring them into Canaan, let them go and check it out. They go in, they come back, they give the report. Ten of them say, place is awesome. Better than we expected. Beautiful. Flowing with milk and honey. Everything that God promised is there. But the people there, nah. Nope. Massive people. The Nephilim are there. Giants are there. We felt small in their eyes. We know that they were looking at us, considering us as grasshoppers in their presence. We can't do it. Beautiful place. It's just not for us. Two of them came back and said, we got this. We can do this because we've got God. Like my sister was saying earlier when she was praying. And if he's on our side, nothing is impossible. Caleb and Joshua. So we know Joshua came with a bit of grit, but Joshua could have just sunk back into the fold. He could have gone backward. He could have said, well, there's other guys that are also very gifted and talented. He could have been like Moses and made excuses. Oh, I can't talk well. Oh, they want me dead there. I'm just not your guy. They're not going to listen to me. Pick somebody else. But he didn't. He did not do that. I think all of us have a good time thinking about people in our lives who have stepped up to the plate. I'm guessing you know a few. I know some as well. I enjoy reading about them in the Bible. People who step up to the plate right in the nick of time. Mordecai and Esther's, you know, conversation. Who knows that God hasn't given you this place of authority, Esther, for such a time as this? And you see someone like Elijah, you know, kicking against the, the, the goads and swimming upstream against the current, going in a different direction than the world. And Jeremiah, who preached for 50 years, and he never won a single person to God. But he was faithful to do it. No one else was standing in that gap. And disciples of Jesus, both the ones whose names we know and ones we do not know, who forsook everything in their lives to follow him, to step up to the plate. I love talking about people like that. We all love talking about people like that. But there needs to come a corner that we turn where we stop admiring people like that and we start emulating people like that. We start becoming people like that. A part of serving at a church like where I serve, at Arbor Road Church, is that we have a lot of elderly people who have been there for a very long time. Some have been there almost the entire stretch of the, the, the amount of time that our church has been up for 70 years. So we have people who have been serving as ushers and greeters and Sunday school workers for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. I have a quarterly meeting with every former chairman of the board. If they're alive still and they're still in our church and they were at one point a chairman of the board and there's 12 of them now. One of them recently uh, went to heaven. 12 of them. We get around a table once a quarter and I just sit and throw some things out there, scenarios that they had to walk through when they were chairman that we would not be doomed to, mis to the same mistakes once again. And I love listening to their wisdom. But I told you one of them recently passed away. And when a guy like that dies and in our church it tends to come in twos, threes, and fours Someone dies and I wait for my phone to, to ring and someone else is probably going to die soon because they're all kind of the same age in that little bracket. And every time I'm doing one of their funerals, I always just look at the picture on the stage and I think, well, who's going to step into Bill's shoes? Bill was a, a, an elder here for 30 years. Who's going to step into Ron Young's shoes? He taught Sunday school to four and five-year-olds for 40 years. Now he's in heaven. Who's going to garden? Because this woman who has been faithful to do this who is 94 years old, my grandma. 94 years old. 
gardening, doing her thing for the Lord. And when she graduates to heaven, and I, I a couple of months ago, almost watched my, my grandmother in church go to heaven. I mean, I saw her down there, her head went back, it looked like she was gone. Kind of stopped the service, went down there, I was with my uncle, doctors were kind of tending to her, and she was, just looked like she was completely out, gone, in heaven. And then she just went, and eyes got big, and she started blinking and asking the people around her if, if, she, if she could serve them, if they needed help. I said, Grandma, are you there, Grandma? You know, just, she was smiling and kind of slapping my face, and I said, Grandma, if you can remember anything about the last three minutes, we could write books and make movies and be millionaires, you know? <laughs> What's going to happen to the gardens when Mary Price is in heaven? I'll bet there's a lot of people serving in this church who have been doing it for a long time. And maybe you're feeling the Lord kind of yank on you today and say, you know what? It's time for you to stop being just thankful. Be thankful emulate it. Step up to the plate. The first step is the one up to the plate. Joshua, be strong. Be courageous. Here's another marker of a strong and courageous person. The strong and courageous believe the promises of God. Verses 4 and 5. Look at them again. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The strong and the courageous take God at his word. They believe the promises of God. When God says something, he means it. If he lays it out there for us, it's true. He never changes his mind. He never vacillates. When he says it to you, he means it. And this is God talking. Remember, verse 5, it's God. It's not some guy. It's God. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He, the, 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 traumas, the promise is still true for us, as we were singing a little while ago. It's still true for us. That was Joshua's promise. That's our promise, too. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But we succumb to fear, anxiety, failure because we simply forget the promises of God. We don't step into those tough conversations at work. We don't have those conversations with people at our homes. We don't have the conversations around the lunch table. We don't get into those gnarly, hairy conversations because we forget the promises of God. We're, we're afraid. We're fearful of talking to someone that we see every day, who does not know the Lord, and we bump into them, and we're afraid to speak with them about the Lord because it's going to wreck some social thing we've got going on with them. We're staring at them, knowing full and well that if they were to die that day, they would spend an eternity separated from God. But for fear of social awkwardness, we're unwilling to talk with them. Why? Because we're afraid. And we're afraid because we have forgotten the promises that God has made to us. Let me ask you something. Do you even know the promises of God? Could you list them? Could you put 10 down on a piece of paper? Are you living under the banner of the strength of God's promises in your life? Have you forgotten that he has made you certain guarantees? He will not back away from them. 
Do you know the promises of God? If you're not in his word, then you don't know the wealth of promises that God has made to those who love him. Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you'll find that I'm gentle and humble in spirit, and you'll find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans that I have for your life, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and give you a future, not for disaster, but to give you hope. Philippians 4, and this same God who takes care of me, Paul said, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. John 14, Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you can be also. Proverbs 1, but all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. 2 Peter 1, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. I could go on and on and on and on and on. The promises of God. Do you know them? Because I believe Christians are winged these days, are terrified of stepping into scary situations, not because that person will actually respond the way we think they will. I'll bet more than half the time, they'll probably shock you with their response. They'll lean into the things that you're talking to them about. It's not because of what they'll actually do. The fear is there because we're not believing God's promises. We're not taking him up on his word that he's with us, that he's always with us, that he's never going to forsake us, that he wants to embolden us and strengthen us. And that's something that Joshua needed to remember if he was going to make an impact for God. I mean, how many Christians are just being rendered ineffective for God because they don't know the promises waiting for them, because they're not standing under the strength of the word of God. They're not living in the promises that God has made readily available for us. Strong and courageous people take God up on his word. Get in his word. Remember the promises of his word. Another marker of the strong and courageous is that they obey God's direction in their life. Look at verse 6 and 7. They obey God's direction. Be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. Here it is. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do and obey all the law that my, that my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Now, verse 7 is kind of the condition of verse 5. Look at verse 5 again, because he says, no one will be able to stand up against you. Now, let's just pause for a second, because you probably remember that they did a great job sacking Jericho. They crushed that city, but then the next city they went to, Ai, they got crushed. They took a serious shellacking. I mean, so many Israelites died in Ai, and they came back with their tail between their legs, and they're like, what's up? God said he'd always be with us, but there was a problem. See, there's a condition for that. Only be careful to obey. Obey. I'm giving you direction. Follow the directions. And Achan was told not to take anything out of Jericho. We know that he and his family stole stuff from Jericho, hid it under their tent, that's why God disciplined Israel, because they were disobedient. The marker of a strong and courageous person is the opposite of that. The marker of the strong and the courageous 
is that they obey God's direction in their life. And every one of us is going to struggle with that. All of us will. Abraham struggled with that, following God's direction. God made him promises. Abraham, Abraham convinced kings that his wife was his sister and so that they wouldn't kill him. And these kings ended up taking Sarah as their wives. Crazy. That, what kind of a husband does that to his wife? David had a hard time following the directions of God. He veered off the path a time or two. This is a guy who uh, had an affair with one of his mighty men, one of his best friend's wives, and then had his mighty man killed. Adultery and murder. You think he got off the path? Yeah. Moses, off the path. Peter denied Jesus. Probably most uh, observable in the Bible in terms of uh, disobeying God is Jonah. God told Jonah, go to the Ninevites. These people are not listening to me. You bring the message of repentance or else. Go to them. And Jonah's like, not, not, not me. I don't like those people. I hate those people. And I know what a gracious God you are. And if I go to them, they'll probably turn. You'll forgive them and all will be well. And I'm not okay with that. I don't like these people. I'd rather them die and go straight to hell forever. Gets on a ship, thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, puked on the beach, and then he goes. Tells the people, they repent, God forgives. Strong and the courageous obey God's direction in their lives. Are you obedient? It's not a matter of, is God giving you a picture of what you can do? God, give me a picture. Show me what you want me to do. He's showing you. The question is not, is God answering that prayer and giving you direction? He's giving you direction. The question is, are you obeying it? It always comes down to obedience. You choose to follow him or you choose not to. I got on a plane to come up here. I flew from Long Beach, my town, to Sacramento, your town. Nice plane ride, real quick and easy. Jet blue, piece of cake. Love it, an hour. It's easy. There's like a, a woman who got up in front of our plane, and she brought us through various instructions of what we should do in case chaos ensues. We lose cabin pressure, she said with a smile on her face. These little things are going to drop from the ceiling. She's telling us as she puts it on with a big smile, brings out the little folder where we can look at the pictures of how to take care of this. Little kid excited to have their mom put it on their face. No big whoop, right? Oh, and by the way, if we happen to crash in the water, don't worry. The seat you're sitting on is a flotation device. I mean, isn't that good news? So just walk your way down the aisle and put on the little thing and pull the little straps. Blow in them if it doesn't come up. Don't inflate it inside of the plane. I mean, good grief, we've already had enough tragedy, right? Don't do that. Get out of the plane. These things will float away. It's, and they do it with such joy, you know? Like it's a great thing. I've flown on a private plane once in my life, one time. Went to a conference with a guy. He had a private plane. Private planes are a different story. Big windows, big cushy seats. And the pilot of this plane was an F-A-18 fighter pilot in the Persian Gulf War. So instead of a flight attendant coming out and giving us instruction, he comes out of the cockpit. He gets in the middle of all of us. He kind of gets down like this, pulls in the guys, and he says, hey, my name is so-and-so. Uh, I- I've been a pilot of, of this aircraft for the last seven years I have X amount of years uh, serving in the, in the Navy. These are the tours that I did, you know, in the Persian Gulf. Guys, I'm a great pilot. I feel confident with this vessel. It's going to be a great trip. But I need to tell you that if we crash, we're probably all going to die. <laughs> Our eyes got real big, but he's like, in the case of my unbelievable feat of, of, of flying prowess, I get this plane to the ground without us blowing into a million pieces. Guys, 
do not get your badge and run over the guy in front of you to get away from this plane before it blows up. I'm waiting for the punchline. He's dead serious. And he goes in, guys, if we happen to crash in the water, we're going to drown. I mean, <laughs> the chances of getting out of this plane are just slim to none, all right? But seriously, if by chance I'm able to get us into a spot where we belly into water and we happen to still all be coherent, grab anything that looks like it floats and get out of this thing before you sink to your death. I mean, that's how he's talking to us, you know? And to this day, whenever I hear a flight attendant giving me the instructions of how to fly, I only hear her or him saying, we're all going to die, you know, we're all going to die. There's no chance of this working. But they give us these instructions, these flight attendants. Who's listening? Anybody? Aren't you busy, you know, pretending like you're, you're uh, turning your phone off, but you're really just turning it to the music you want to listen to while you ascend? You know, aren't you busy just kind of fluttering around and looking to put your snacks in the right spot? And they're, they're telling you how to save your life. Couldn't care less. Why? Because we've heard it all before. We've heard it in so many different settings. It's just not new to us anymore. It's boring. It's the same old story. We've heard it a million times. We've just done it so often. What are we talking about now? Are we talking about flight things? Are we talking about the Bible? Because this sounds very similar, yes? We've been around it for so long, we have forgotten to really get ourselves snugged into what it means to not just hear, but obey. And strong and courageous people's lives will always be marked with obedience. Are you obeying? Are you listening to his proddings in your life? He is giving us direction. Strong and courageous people, people of impact, of influence, obey him. They hear it, and they do it. That brings me to the last thing I want to say today as we cash in on our time together. One more marker for us. The strong and courageous are fueled up first and foremost by God's word. Look at verse 8. It says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. You have a pen, you have a pencil, you have a Bible. I want you to just focus in on two words in that, in that verse verse 8. First word is meditate. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it. Circle that word, meditate. Meditate. Underline that word, meditate. That's the first word, meditate. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to, and here's the other word, do. Circle that word or, or underscore that word. Meditate and do everything written in it. Meditate and do. Not just meditate, not just do, meditate and do. Knowledge will never be enough, never. It doesn't matter if you've been studying the Bible for the last 50 years of your life, if you have advanced degrees in theology and apologetics, Bible exposition. It doesn't matter if you've been teaching the Bible for the last 20 years. It doesn't matter if, if you're uh, reading through the Bible every single year and you've been doing that since you were in high school. It doesn't matter. Those things are great. I don't mean to take anything away from those things. You can't sneeze at those things. But knowledge will never be enough. You have to apply the knowledge. Apply the knowledge. It's never enough that you just do. It's not enough that you just show up and usher at a door. It's not enough that you greet people as they come in, that you move a couple of chairs around, that you're busy for God. It's not enough. It's got to be knowledge and application. Meditate and do. You got to put the knowledge into action for it to take effect. And God's word is the fuel for anyone who wants to make a difference for the Lord. 
You meditate on his word and then you do it. It can't be some side dish in your life. It can't be the thing that you come back to in those moments of pain and frustration. You know, now things aren't going well for me and so I'm going to go to God's word. You go to God's word, good and bad, rain and shine. You meditate on it and then you do it. It can't be the side dish. It's got to be the main dish. It's got to be the main course. And this is the beauty of tapping into the power of God. It is always available for us. Always available for us. Ready for us to just tap into it. To see the promises of God and then to put it into action. So get into it. It's available. Read it. Listen to it. Memorize it. Share it. Meditate on it. Do it. It's God's power working through us, remember? It's not a matter of us doing anything for God. If we're not in his word, how do we expect to do anything for the one who authored it? His power through us. I love to surf. I surf quite a bit. I get out a couple of times a week. My kids, you know, when they were young, I tried to get them into surfing. Only my middle son, Cooper, got into surfing with me. When he first started, I got him on a big old long, you know, spongy board from Costco because it was easy for him to stand up on, but he got good quick. And so I got him a little ripper board. And now he's like growing and he's surfing my boards now. So he properly shreds these days. But when he was getting going, he was just a little stick figure of a guy. Real thin, you know, like me when I was little. Just no weight at all. So all these waves would always just go underneath him. He'd stroke hard and paddle, try to get into the waves. He couldn't do it. He was just too light. And you have to match power with power when you're surfing. I tried to bring him inside. He was getting crushed. He wanted to be out there with the big guys, you know, but he could never catch a wave until we figured out a way to make it happen. Now, when we would see a wave coming, he would take off. I'd say, this one? He'd say, yeah. He'd start paddling. And I'd wait for him to get maybe like five meters in front of me, and then I would start hucking it. The wave would catch up to me. It'd push me straight into him. He'd have his foot up like this. I would jam my hand into his foot, push him into the wave, give him momentum. He could stand up right away. It was beautiful. Time after time after time, I'd swim, push him into the wave. He was too small to do it on his own. He needed his old man. It sounds boring. I wish there was a way to affix cameras to surfboard so I could show you what this looked like. Oh, wait a minute. There is. All right, so this is what it looks like. I paddle hard. I'm in back of him. He's stretching hard for this wave. I see the wave coming. The momentum of the wave catches me first, pushes me to him. He has his foot there. I jam him into the wave as hard as I can. He can get to his feet right away. Stand up and get into waves that are just too big for him to otherwise make happen. That's the way it works, all right? I paddle behind him. He puts his foot up. I push him into the wave. He can stand up. I come up, push him into the wave. And with my power behind him, he gets into these waves. And Cooper knows that when he is with me, I will never let him fail. He will never, ever, ever, ever fail. (laughs) I had to show that or I wouldn't be a good dad, right? I push him into the wave, he gets momentum, he can get to his feet right away. He can enjoy waves the way they're supposed to be ridden. Not just whitewash waves, but waves that peak up. Can't do it on his own. He can now, but he couldn't then. He couldn't get it done without his old man. I can't do anything without God, I cannot. You can't do anything without him. It's his power working through us. Look at verse 9 as we close. Have I not commanded you? It's like the rapid fire. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Step up to the plate. Don't be frightened. Believe in my promises. Don't be dismayed. I'm directing you, for I am with you. It's not our power. It's his power working through us. 
big shoes for Joshua to fill. Moses, servant of the Lord. 13 times in his own book. I wonder if that bugged him. I wonder if he ever wondered if, if he would be worthy of that title. It doesn't seem that he was ever given that title while he was alive, but we do see that title come up one more time at the end of the book in Joshua 24 at verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. It's like in hindsight, whoever finished the book of Joshua looked back and said, worthy of the title. I'm so grateful, though, that Joshua wasn't hung up on stupid things like titles. I'm so grateful that he let his ego get out of the way, was made an effective leader for Christ. It's incredible the things that can be accomplished when we check our egos and charge forward in faith for God's glory. Sun Grove Church, this is what I want for you. This is my admonition to you. This is my encouragement to you to be a church filled with people, flooded by lives that are marked with strength and courage. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your word today. And I pray that you would allow us to be men and women who step into these moments of opportunity that you've laid out for us. Stepping up to the plate and believing your promises and, and working in obedience and remembering to come to your word first and foremost that we would find the fuel and the energy to do the things through your power that you have set before us. And I want to pause in my prayer with your heads bowed and your hearts focused on God for a moment. Because you might be here today by invitation. You might have just walked in here today. And you're hearing about strength and courage, but you're missing the most important ingredient in your life. None of these things are possible without Jesus in your life. And maybe you've been trying to go about life your own way and solve your own problems and you're flatlined, you're empty. You're missing the most important thing. God created you to have a relationship with you through his son. Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect life, never sinned, but died a sinner's death on the cross for our sin. He himself bore our sin in his body on that cross that we would die to sin and live for righteousness. And his blood covers over all of your sin, anything that you've ever done, anything that you're into, anything that you'll ever do, once and for all has been paid for. And he arose from the grave and he is the first fruits of eternal life. He gives us a picture of what's waiting for us if we simply believe on him. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. There's nothing else to do, nothing else to sign. You don't bring anything to the table. It is a gift. It's the greatest gift in the history of gift giving. And it's yours today if you simply open up your arms and pull it in. And you can do that right where you sit today. You can receive Christ's forgiveness where you sit. In the quietness of your heart, you could reach out to him. You could pray quietly and he knows your thoughts. You could just simply say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin and be my savior. Take over my life and be my Lord. Thank you, Lord, for hearing us today. Take these truths and add them to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.